You're listening to the Bottom Line podcast where those living with or beyond bowel cancer, as well as health professionals involved in bowel cancer treatment and care, share their inspirational stories and lived experiences with host and bowel cancer survivor, Stephanie. Today we're talking about Lynch syndrome, also known as non-polyposis colorectal cancer. It's the most common cause of hereditary bowel cancer. We are joined today by Dr. Nicholas Pachter, who is a clinical geneticist and a clinical professor at the University of Western Australia. Nick is going to help us unpack some really important information around diagnosing, monitoring and treating Lynch syndrome. Welcome. Thank you. So Nick, before we get into the nitty gritty, could you just uh, tell us briefly a little bit about your role and the research that you're doing around Lynch syndrome? Sure. So I'm a clinical geneticist. So the translation of that is that I'm a doctor that's interested in all things to do with genetic conditions. So conditions that are inherited within families. Um, And where I work here in in Western Australia, we see a a wide range of different genetic conditions from things that can affect pregnancy through to children and then uh, adult onset disorders. I do work across all of those areas, but I do have a particular interest in adult onset disorders. And that's where Lynch syndrome comes in, being a a cancer predisposition condition. It it generally affects people in their adult years rather than in uh, in their early years. In terms of research, I and my department, we we contribute to a number of national and international uh, research projects that are taking place to do with Lynch syndrome. Just to name a a couple, there is a, a worldwide group that's really trying to collect data on all Lynch syndrome carriers and what are the factors that lead to causing cancer, so what we call epidemiological studies, but also to try and understand what the incidence of cancer is. So what I mean by that is if you do carry a Lynch syndrome gene, how likely are you to get cancer? Um, So we're looking at cancer incidence and prevalence across different countries to see if it differs around the world. We're also involved in another international study trialling the use of aspirin as a preventative medication for Lynch syndrome. So I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit more later on, but basically aspirin may have a role in preventing polyp formation and polyps are precursors to bowel cancer. And so by taking aspirin, uh, you may actually be able to prevent those polyps from forming and therefore bowel cancer down the line. What we're still trying to work out is what's the correct dose of aspirin to take. So that's part of that study. And then locally in Australia, one of the main pieces of work I've been involved with, uh, and we've kind of led that in WA, is to look at trying to implement a screening test on bowel cancer. So that's called mismatch repair immunohistochemistry. And again, we can go into that in a bit more detail. Screening all bowel cancers to see if there's evidence that there may be underlying Lynch syndrome. And in WA, we've been able to implement that. So we call that universal screening. Uh, Other states are starting to um, develop that pathway as well. And we've also managed to get a number of uh, key national peak bodies to support that practice. So, for example, the Royal Australasian College of Pathologists, who are quite influential in the practice of pathology. So um, looking at the tumours and getting them to do this testing but also the Human Genetic Society of Australasia and the Clinical Oncology Society of Australia have all come to the fore and, and put out statements supporting universal screening of Lynch syndrome. So that's been one of my 
picked uh, projects. Which is fabulous because um, I'm not sure whether you're aware, but I had bowel cancer 10 years ago. And back then I had to ask to have some screening. <laughs> but we'll delve into that in a little bit more detail in a little while. How common is Lynch syndrome in Australia? And what exactly is it? Okay. Maybe we'll start with what is Lynch syndrome and then we'll look at how common it is just to set the scene. So Lynch syndrome is a tumor cancer predisposition syndrome. So it's caused by uh, changes in certain genes. We'll go through that, but there are four different genes. Effectively, those genes are working in DNA repair and essentially serve to protect us from developing errors or buildup of uh, DNA errors and therefore protect us from cancer. We'll go through that mechanism a bit more later on. I know some of the questions delve into that. So if you carry a certain gene change, you are at higher risk of developing certain cancer types over your your lifetime. And so for someone with Lynch syndrome, we would recommend that they set up some screening to, to try and detect cancer earlier, or even employ some preventative strategies to actually stop you from getting cancer, which is now possible. And I guess being aware of that you carry the genetic change does empower you to undertake some of those practices and really deal with, with a health issue that, that I guess hovers over you. But with proper surveillance and preventative strategies in place, we, we've really shown that morbidity and mortality, so illness from cancer and death from cancer, can actually be reduced back to close to the population level, So, which is really a great outcome. How common is Lynch syndrome? That's an excellent question. The truth is we don't actually know, but we've studied, um, we, I guess through, through we, we can ascertain that in two ways. You can look at a population-based level, which is not easy to do because healthy people don't tend to undergo any genetic testing. Our estimates is that probably about one in 280 to one in 300 people ought to carry a Lynch syndrome gene wow. as high as that. So I just did some maths on the paper quickly here. We would expect more than 80,000 people to carry a Lynch syndrome gene, but most people are not recognised because not everybody who carries a gene gets cancer. And so how it's often ascertained is through being diagnosed with cancer. Now, if we screen people with cancer for Lynch syndrome, which we're starting to do on a, on a universal basis, then we start to get a picture that it's probably responsible for about 2 to 3% of bowel cancer and a similar figure for endometrial cancer, which is the other big cancer in Lynch syndrome. So we're probably looking at 2 to 3% of the main cancers that we see in Lynch syndrome. 2 to 3% of them will be due to Lynch as opposed to other causes for those cancers. But if you uh, haven't had bowel cancer, can you still be tested then preventatively for Lynch syndrome? How do you know when to have that test? Yeah, so we haven't got to the point yet where it's routine to screen the healthy population for, for rare conditions. And interestingly, there is a trial out there looking at that very question. It's called a DNA screen, and that's another study that I'm part of. I didn't mention it because it's a little on the periphery and I also think recruitment might be closed, but listen out. It's certainly making waves. Um, they went quite hard on social media advertising this, but essentially this is a project looking at healthy people in the general population with no family history and asking them whether they would be interested in having a test 
to screen for changes in genes that, that can predispose to cancers, which included Lynch syndrome and uh, also the hereditary breast ovarian cancer syndromes. The uptake was very popular, and that's why the study closed quite quickly. And we're currently looking at the feasibility of that, the cost effectiveness, is it acceptable? So those questions will be answered soon. And if it is considered desirable and feasible and it's cost effective, that it's affordable, you may find that such testing is rolled out in the general population. That's a game changer, I would imagine, Nick. Yeah, it will be. But for the yeah, for the time being, if you don't have any family history and you haven't been diagnosed with bowel cancer yourself, it, it's quite difficult. I, I would recommend against trying to access these US-based tests. They're not accurate. They're often not confirmed when people have gone through these um, overseas companies. They send swab kits. They tell you that you've got a higher risk of conditions such as Lynch syndrome, and then we try and verify that in a in a laboratory here in Australia that that's um, fully accredited to offer that testing, and we don't verify it. So those laboratories overseas are not accurate in their testing. So I think you've answered this, but how are patients diagnosed? So as I said, there would be two approaches. I think the first approach is you are diagnosed with a bowel cancer or a cancer of the lining of the womb, endometrial cancer, which is the, are the two most common cancers that we see. And then hopefully the pathologist or the doctor that's looking after you is astute enough to say, hold on, you might be quite young or you might have a family history that could fit with Lynch syndrome. And so mismatch repair immunistic chemistry testing is arranged. So this is the screening test that I was talking about on the cancer tissue that we perform. It's initiated by a pathologist. So when they're diagnosing your cancer under the microscope, this is an additional test that they can do. They stain for the proteins that are produced by the Lynch syndrome genes. Now, if you're carrying a Lynch syndrome faulty gene, then those proteins don't work properly. And so the staining will be negative. It won't get picked up. It will be missing. And that will flag or alert them that this might be Lynch syndrome. If that then comes up on your bowel cancer or your endometrial cancer, then again, the pathologist or the doctor that's managing you for your cancer would then be expected to refer you on to your local genetic service where genetic testing then needs to be arranged. Picking up an abnormality on the immunohistochemistry is not automatically, it doesn't automatically mean that you have a genetic cause. There are what we call local or somatic causes that can mimic Lynch syndrome. So in other words, proteins can be missing in the tumor, but they don't reflect an underlying genetic or hereditary cause. It just, it's factors within the tumor that, that knock out the proteins. So the next step to actually diagnose Lynch syndrome is genetic testing on a blood sample, which would be done through your local genetic service. So we would arrange for you to have genetic testing. We would sit down and talk to you about the implications, not only for yourself and your cancer risk, but also for your family, because if we find a genetic cause, it means it can be passed on or it could have been inherited from family members um, within the extended family. So we talk to you about that, those potential implications. And if you're agreeable to have testing, then we can arrange for you to have the blood test and then that testing is, is sent away to a local laboratory where we can have different outcomes. If we find a change in one of the Lynch syndrome genes, we call that a, a positive result, or in other words, an informative result, and that confirms that you have Lynch syndrome. 
and we would make recommendations around your management. We may not find anything at all. We call that an inconclusive result and would depend on your circumstances. If it was an older person with no family history, it's probably local factors going on and we may need to do some more testing in the tumour to see if we've got a mimic. But if you're a young person or you have a strong family history, we've probably missed something on our genetic testing. And we always say that the genetic testing is imperfect, that we, we can miss things. And we will try and employ additional techniques, but sometimes we just can't find the underlying cause. That's a difficult situation because we're still suspicious that you might have Lynch syndrome and we would probably still manage you as if you did. But we don't have a test that we can offer to other family members to clarify their risk, mm. which is disappointing. So an inconclusive result is, is tricky. So if you attend a public genetics clinic, you will not pay for it at all. It is all covered by the state government. And in fact, there is now a Medicare ISIM number to have bowel cancer or endometrial cancers assessed for Lynch syndrome. All of that is now covered under Medicare. So it's highly unlikely that your genetic testing and pathology component will be billed certainly in the public system. There may be some out-of-pockets if you're doing this privately. What I wanted to say is that the second way that you may be diagnosed with Lynch syndrome is you may not have cancer, but you may have a family history of Lynch syndrome and that you find out about it um, through a relative. They might send you a letter or talk to you about it saying that there is a gene in the family. If you get such a letter or you hear that this information is in your family, then again, you may contact your local genetic service or get a referral from your GP local doctor. And if there is indeed a gene in your family, you can have testing for that particular change in the gene. So we call that predictive genetic testing. And that will enable you to determine whether you've inherited the gene in the family. And if you do carry that gene, then you have Lynch syndrome. And again, we can put in those preventative measures in place and the surveillance. So that would be the second route to being diagnosed is if it's in the family and you find out that you have the gene. Of course, if you test negative for the gene in your family, then you're off the hook and uh, you can essentially walk away from that family history. How does that affect the patient? Obviously, there's the emotional aspect. It's, it's a hard one for us because the way the way the genetics units work is we are often involved in the initial diagnosis. So we'll, we'll inform a patient or a client that they have Lynch syndrome and that they're at risk. And we might talk to them a little bit about that and it's... I think most people, if it's in the context of cancer, most people, I think, sometimes relieved in a way that there is an explanation that it kind of, you know, many people have gone for many years and have had many cancers or there is something in the family and they've always wondered why that is. And so receiving a diagnosis to explain that can be a sense of relief, a sense of closure. I think if it's a young person who doesn't have a family history, it can be quite traumatic because I think obviously there's one it's hanging over you that you are at greater risk of future cancers, but also, too, that this is now something that, that can be passed on in the family. And particularly if, if someone has young children, there may be feelings of guilt, which is, is something that we, we see from time to time. But the difficulty we have in our position is we don't then follow up. So in genetics, we hand over, for example, to gastroenterologists or colorectal surgeons. And we just don't have the resources to see people on a regular basis and ask them how they're doing and how is this going for them. So we don't see the, I guess, the longer term effects or impact that that can have on a patient's um, 
you know, psychological and emotional well-being, uh, which is disappointing that we don't have that ability to follow it. So traditionally, we, we think of Lynch syndrome as a non-polyposis causing condition, but we, we know that's not entirely true, but hence the original title. Most patients with multiple polyps, um, we may find alternative genetic causes, and there are other rare conditions that can cause exposition to polyps. And then the reason for, for cancer in that group is simply polyp burden. What we see in Lynch syndrome is people still develop polyps. So polyps are quite common in the general population. But the transition from polyps to bowel cancer is very slow. Basically, a, a polyp is, a, is an accumulation of DNA errors. And so what happens is you get a buildup of errors, and that polyp is then exposed to whatever's in the environment that's causing the DNA errors. We don't have a good understanding of what that is. And then further DNA errors build up in that polyp. And eventually, if there's enough, if you like, buildup of DNA errors, that polyp can become cancerous. Now, in Lynch syndrome, because we've got an issue with the DNA repair genes, the buildup of errors goes much quicker, that that transition from polyp to cancer is, is quickened. And so people who might develop polyps, just like anyone in the population does, if they happen to have Lynch syndrome on top of that, then the, the time that it takes that polyp to become cancerous is sped up. In the general population, in the normal population, that, that process can be 10 or 20 years. So if you if you found a polyp and uh, it wasn't removed, it may, may be yeah, 15, 20 years before it becomes cancerous. But in Lynch syndrome, that period may be as, as short as just a couple of years. So that's why we would recommend um, patients with Lynch syndrome have colonoscopies at least on an annual basis, so an annual basis, so that if any polyps are kind of missed on the first one uh, or just weren't seen, you may well pick them up a year later. So that frequent screening is one of the keys to, to Lynch syndrome. So it's not that often that we'll see someone with multiple polyps that turns out to have Lynch syndrome. It's not impossible. It's happened. But the majority of people may have a, a single polyp that's well on the way to transitioning to cancer. So not everybody necessarily gets genetic testing. It's, it's the screening test in the tumour. So we call that mismatch repair immunohistochemistry is the sort of the, the term for that. So that's really the test that you want to find out whether you had, because if that comes back all clear, then it's highly unlikely that you would have Lynch syndrome. And as I said, what we're trying to do, what we achieved in WA and we're trying to, to get that achieved in the other states is all tumours are screened because that just takes the thinking away. Then you know that you had it done. But I think if you live in another state, um, the best thing is to go back to the doctor that managed your cancer and ask them or ask for a copy of the pathology report. And the pathology report should have an addendum in it. So the initial report might not have mentioned it, but if they have followed up and done the immunohistochemistry, there should be an addendum to the report saying mismatch repair immunohistochemistry was undertaken and it was normal or abnormal and go from there. So get, getting the pathology report is the key to seeing whether you've been screened for Lynch syndrome. So, Nick, this is really fabulous um, information because I think, you know, genetics, I would imagine, is quite a dynamic area and is changing by the moment <laughs> for us ordinary Australians to try and fathom that. Is there anything else you'd like to add today? I think awareness is, is key to all of this. 
Um, don't be afraid to ask your doctors these questions. So, for example, if you've been diagnosed with bowel cancer, I think it's the expectation, and, and as I said, the peak bodies have put out statements saying that we expect all bowel cancers to be screened for Lynch syndrome. So ask the question, has my tumour been screened? It's not a difficult test to undertake. It needs to be done by the pathologist. So, you know, I think advocate for yourself. If you've got a family history of cancer, again, mention that to your doctors. It, it may not be Lynch syndrome. It could be something else or it could be nothing at all. But let the doctors make that decision. And if your treating doctor is not sure because they may not be a geneticist, they should be aware of how to refer for an assessment. And it may be that you don't need to see genetics, but if they've run past your family history information and your cancer information past the genetics unit and, and an opinion has been given, then at least you can rest assured that it's been assessed and, um, and if they don't want to see that's a good thing. That means it's not considered likely. So I think certainly advocate for yourself. I think if you are diagnosed with Lynch syndrome, it's really important to follow the screening guidelines because we've started to see from our international long-term follow-ups that the outcomes are really good. We haven't talked a bit about that, and maybe maybe it's an opportunity to do so, but if you're diagnosed with Lynch syndrome, where do you go from there? So I think the first thing, obviously, is if you're diagnosed in the context of cancer, so you've got a bowel cancer, what does that mean for you? So generally, it won't impact too much on the treatment of your bowel cancer itself. That will still follow the same set of treatment protocols that are currently in place for someone with a non-Lynch syndrome-related bowel cancer. The only exception I would say to that is if the bowel cancer is advanced and you haven't responded to, well, let's say you've required chemotherapy and you haven't responded the Lynch syndrome mechanism, the DNA repair pathway, is potentially amenable to some additional agents or uh, what we call targeted therapies. That's worth, again, talking to your oncologist if you have an oncologist. So not everyone with bowel cancer needs chemo, fortunately. But if you're in, at the point where you've needed chemo and uh, you haven't responded, it's worth asking about is there any other medication or targeted treatment that I can have related to my Lynch syndrome cancer because there are now some particular agents called checkpoint inhibitors that can target the DNA repair pathway and may assist in treating. So that's probably the main difference in how the cancer is treated. But the majority of people with Lynch syndrome cancers will hopefully be diagnosed in an early enough stage that they don't need chemo and so the treatment is the same as anybody else. But where the difference comes in is if you've had only a portion of your bowel removed as part of your treatment and you still have the rest of the bowel in place, you are at risk of getting a new bowel cancer over the remainder of your lifetime. And so it's really important that you continue to have screening. Most people with bowel cancer, the oncologist or the surgeon that's managed them will monitor them probably for five years to just make sure that the bowel cancer is not coming back, the original one, and then they'll discharge you. But in Lynch syndrome, do not be discharged. Advocate for yourself again. You need ongoing follow-up until certainly, you know, if you've fit and well and healthy up until 80s at least because you are still at risk of getting another bowel cancer, a new one elsewhere along the tract. And so that annual colonoscopy that I was talking about to pick up any polyps is really important. The other aspect that I mentioned at the beginning is we're looking at aspirin. Taking aspirin 
may, as I said, prevent polyps. And we, we've got some evidence that, that it does that. And, and so my advice is if you have Lynch syndrome, consider going on to aspirin. But what I would say about that is aspirin does have some side effects. It can cause bruising and bleeding, and particularly if you have other health conditions such as peptic ulcer disease, you have to be a bit careful. And it may be that you have to sit down with your local doctor that knows you best and weigh up the pros and cons of being on aspirin and decide whether it's in your interest. The, the effect of aspirin is long-term. It's not going to help you in, in one or two years. We're looking at a 20-year, 30-year risk reduction. So it's something you'd have to be on for a long time to, to gain benefit from it. So that's another aspect to it. Lifestyle factors, really important in terms of cancer prevention. Uh, smoking is a no-no for all cancer. It's the same for bowel cancer. Alcohol in moderation, we don't say don't drink, but we say try and cut it back. Sometimes you need alcohol to get through it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, a few drinks a week, that's okay. You're allowed to enjoy yourself. Too much of it is a bad thing. Weight. Weight gain is an issue for bowel cancer and cancer of the lining of the womb, endometrial cancer. So we, we advocate for weight loss, just trying to have a healthy, balanced diet, regular exercise, all of those can in general prevent cancer. And specifically for bowel cancer, there is, has been some work around fibre in your diet and getting plenty of fibre in your diet. Not saying to go crazy, but there are some people out there who have no fibre in their diet. Really, you should have some fibre just to help mop up any toxins that your bowel may be exposed to. Because we, we eat all sorts of things, and who knows in our Western diet what we're being exposed to in, in those foodstuffs. And some of it will clearly be carcinogenic and impact the lining of the bowel cause those DNA changes that I talked about. And so fiber just helps to mop some of that up. Um, so we would advocate fresh fruit, veggies, cereals, breads, whole wheat bread if you can. Just all of these are general things that we can't measure the effect of them on preventing bowel cancer, but we know they do have an effect. So those are the sorts of things you might tell uh, someone who may be diagnosed with Lynch syndrome but doesn't have cancer yet because of the family history. You might talk about uh, those preventative factors. You might talk about the, the regular colonoscopies and the aspirin. Uh, and then, as, as I said, for someone with cancer, the ongoing need for, for colonoscopy. Now, women who have Lynch syndrome, unfortunately, cop it more. We're just lucky, aren't we, women? <laughs> yeah. So women are also at risk of cancer of the lining of the womb, endometrial cancer. It's a later cancer than bowel cancer. We, bowel cancer could occur as early as the 30s, 40s, 50s, that's sort of the peak ages. Endometrial cancer, we probably see it the earliest in the 40s, 50s, 60s. It's a much more subtle cancer. It's not one that we can readily screen for, so there's no scope that you can use to, to pick it up. And the main reason for that is the, is the womb is full of folds, and so if you put in a telescope, you're going to miss things. Endometrial cancer causes bleeding, abnormal bleeding. That's the way it's generally picked up. So if you're still premenopausal, any unusual bleeding, any excess bleeding, any bleeding between periods, anything that doesn't quite make sense, have that looked into. It could be endometrial cancer. If you're a Lynch syndrome carrier, that would be a big concern. In the general population, there are lots of causes for abnormal bleeding, so don't immediately jump to Lynch syndrome. But if, if your doctors can't work out what's going on, that should be something to consider. If you have completed your menopause and so you, your periods have ended, 
any postmenopausal bleeding is a is a concern. If you experience blood loss postmenopausally, please have an investigated endometrial cancer is, is certainly possible whether you have Lynch or you don't have Lynch syndrome. So that would be generally the, the, the earliest symptoms of endometrial cancer. Now, for women who have not had endometrial cancer but are found to have Lynch syndrome, because we don't have an effective screening test, like such as the colonoscopies for bowel cancer, we actually recommend that those women consider having a hysterectomy. Uh, and you would probably aim to do that once you've completed your family, late 30s, early 40s, when, when that when, the, when you hit the age where you may be at risk of getting endometrial cancer. So it's a much more invasive approach, but it's the only way that we can effectively prevent you from getting endometrial cancer. So that's certainly something to consider. Wow, there's a lot there to unpack, but all very wonderful insights into the world of Lynch syndrome. Nick, do you have any resources that you would like to recommend? Yes, there are a number of resources. I think one that I'm going to promote that um, I'm involved with and has, I think, over the last few years really gained some momentum here in Australia is called EverQ. So EverQ is a, a national online uh, information service. It was originally set up really to help oncologists with chemotherapy protocols, but it soon expanded into the world of genetics where we found it was useful to publish guidelines on how to manage rare cancer predisposition syndromes. Most general oncologists or surgeons may, may not have a lot of experience in managing a much rarer condition such as Lynch syndrome. So we uh, we got together, a number of clinical geneticists got together and uh, as under the EverQ umbrella, put together some published guidelines using the latest uh, information. We started out, they were medical and they were designed for doctors, but we have now moved to patient-friendly guidelines. Just with information about, for example, with Lynch syndrome, what it is, what genes are involved, what cancers you may be at risk of, the likelihood of getting those cancers, and what is the recommended management for, for Lynch syndrome, and in addition, what additional resources are, are out there to, to assist. Uh, and we certainly uh, provide those with all patients that we see with Lynch syndrome, and we also send that all to, to the doctors that are looking after them, because there are also formal risk management guidelines for, for doctors and specialists. So we kind of we do two versions, the medical version and a, and a patient-friendly version. So EverQ is readily accessible online. It, uh, it's, uh, it used to be password protected, but it's now completely open access. It's run through the Cancer Institute of New South Wales, but if you just Google EverQ, it will come up pretty quickly and you simply um, run a search for your for Lynch syndrome, for example, if you wanted to type that in. I think apart from that, Cancer Australia, that's quite a useful website as well on Lynch syndrome. They have a, a section dedicated to Lynch syndrome, which goes through uh, information in a quite easy to understand way. Um, so that would be the other recommended group I would refer to. Fantastic. Nick, thank you so much today. That has just been so very helpful. For the ordinary Australian, I think it's a world where they go, oh, it's quite complex, and obviously it is, but this is very helpful for our community. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Bottom Line podcast. To find out more about bowel cancer or for support or simply to donate, please go to bowelcanceraustralia.org.